There's a model, singer, and an actress in the 1950s and 1960s by the name of Norma Jean Mortensen. And in an interview about her life, Norma Jean Mortensen once said, sometimes I feel like my whole life has amounted to one big rejection. And perhaps uh, you and I could understand that from an actress uh, whose name is so unfamiliar as Norma Jean Mortensen. Except that Norma Jean Mortensen wasn't such an obscure figure. In fact, some of you have already figured out who it is. She was known to us, and in that day and age, as Marilyn Monroe. One of the most prominent actresses, models, singers who ever lived a name that's very widely known, that's very familiar. And even she said that her whole life has amounted to one huge rejection. There is no one on the face of this earth, you and me included, who hasn't been affected by rejection. Successful, unsuccessful, names that are obscure, names that are very familiar and famous, uh, people who have accomplished great things in life and people who haven't. We all have had periods of, our of times in our lives and periods of our lives where we have in some form or fashion faced rejection. I can remember the first time that I faced rejection. It was in second grade. I, I remember it very vividly. I, I, I was not chosen on the kickball field one day. I was left out of the kickball team in P.E. in second grade, and I still remember it to this day. And I bet if I gave you enough time, you could remember the first time that you were rejected. We all have had this. We've all had times when we were not chosen. We all have had times where we were denied being a part of a certain group. We've all had times when someone else decides that they don't love us anymore. But the problem in today's day and age is, is that rejection often takes extraordinarily destructive forms, doesn't it? Husbands and wives often end up in a nasty, nasty custody battle because at some level there was rejection. Business partners who seemed perfectly matched for each other for years end up in court because there's rejection at some point in time. Gang members seek to kill other gang members because of a deeply held rejection of some part of that other gang's lifestyle or beliefs or values. Older children can actually get emancipated from their parents because at, at some point in time there was rejection one way or the other. And probably the most prominent uh, cultural issue that we face today in our society that represents this idea of, of rejection at its worst is bullying. Is bullying. Our kids in our schools are faced with it to an extreme extent. But we all have faced it at one time or another. And today in our Christmas series, believe it or not, I know it didn't sound like it in the opening. This is a Christmas series. Merry Christmas, everyone. I promise we'll get to some great hope in a moment. 
But in this particular series that we are entitling God with us, um, we, we are focused on this name of Jesus, this name of God. Uh, it's mentioned twice in the Bible, once in Isaiah and one in Matthew, uh, called Emmanuel. And the name Emmanuel, which was a name that was given to Jesus as a title or description of who he was, uh, means literally God with us. And last week we began this journey of God with us talking about how God became incarnate. How God decided that he would become flesh and blood and dwelt among us in the form of Jesus. We celebrate around Christmas time the birth of Christ. We celebrate around Christmas time the, the birth of the Messiah, the, the, Savior, the Savior, the one who has chosen to save you and I from our sins and, and, and as we've just witnessed, you know, a, a baby in a manger is our picture uh, of who that was. But we have to remember that that baby grew up and, and he became uh, an adult flesh and blood, just like many of you who are here today. And, and I want you to hear this today. God, in choosing to save the world by becoming human flesh and blood, by becoming a human, by be, being incarnate, God chose to become human, but he also, please don't miss this, he chose not to prevent himself from much of the pain of humanity, rejection included. He could have, he was all God, right? He could have decided that he was going to send this man by the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, and that he would save himself from the painful experience of rejection, but he didn't. He allowed himself to be rejected in so many ways at such a deep level, at a, at a level that you and I can't even comprehend. And I believe he did it in part so that he could identify with the pain and the struggle and the emotions and the hurt that comes along with our own rejection. I believe that he chose not to prevent himself from being harmed from rejection so that he could identify and understand with what, what we go through so then we can have a more stable basis to identify and therefore trust him when we go through it. And so today we're, we're covering one of four different topics that I believe that we all deal with that Jesus experienced. Today we're looking at Emmanuel, God with us in rejection. And we all have faced rejection at some point in time in our lives. And I'm here to tell you today the story that we're going to hear, stories that we're going to hear today, will give you some of you the basis for dealing with past rejection pushing through current rejection, and, and healing the wounds of rejection that maybe has just recently happened. And my prayer is, is that today would not just be academic, it wouldn't just be intellectual information about Jesus' life and, and how he went through rejection and how he became incarnate God in the flesh. But on my prayer for you today is, is that those of you who have experienced rejection, maybe it was years ago, maybe it was months ago, maybe it's just recently students, maybe it's going on right now in the school that you're attending, or in your home, my prayer is, is that God would do a, an amazing work in your life because you have a better understanding of those three words, God with us. 
you have your notes, when you came in today, you received the notes on that worship folder. They're on the inside there. Um, today, we're going to kind of uh, very quickly walk through uh, some different passages of Jesus's life and, and take a look at uh, some of his experiences of rejection. And I bet some of you will be able to identify with some of those experiences. And then we're going to look at several other passages uh, that will help us to, to push through that and to trust him at a deeper level. Um, we're going to be hitting this quick and fast today, so hang on uh, because we're going to go through this quite, quite quickly um, so that we can kind of come to the end and, and really ha have a very solid uh, application there at the end. Uh, by the way, uh, good morning and seriously, Merry Christmas to you all. I'm glad that you're here today and I hope to see many of you back here tonight for evening in December. And if I don't know you, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm excited that you're here. Let's dive into the notes this morning. The verses will be on the screen uh, for you today. First and foremost, I want you to understand that Jesus knew that rejection would mark his life here on earth. Jesus knew that rejection would mark his life here on earth. Now, when I say that statement, some of you are like, yeah, okay, that's, that's fine. So what? Jesus knew that rejection would mark his life here on earth. So what? Well, well, here's the important part of that statement. Jesus, who was born as a baby and grew up to be a man and lived 33 years here on this earth, um, he was all God and he was all man, right? That's, that's an important um, clarification and it's an important uh, principle to understand because while he was here on earth, uh, he was still all God. And I know that's a little bit, it's hard for us to understand. And, you know, that's like, like up at the top of the list of the questions that I want to ask God when I get to heaven. You know what I mean? Like there's some, some you know, why were there flies on earth? I mean, come on, God, really? Could you have done without the flies? And no seams and sanspers? And then there's like, you know, how could Jesus have been all God and all man? Those are my questions, not necessarily in that order that I want to ask God. But I don't know about you. It's hard to understand. But we have to accept if we believe God's word to be true, we have to accept that he was all God and all man. And the fact that Jesus was here on earth and made the decision, being the son of God, to fulfill his mission in life, uh, for, to take away the sins of you and me and the rest of humanity for all times, it's important to understand that he knew that he was going to face rejection because he did it. He willingly did it. He knew that rejection would mark his life. I, I want to point out two verses here in Isaiah 53. He knew and understood that the prophet Isaiah had heard from God the Father and, and was communicating a, a message to the Jewish people. Um, he knew this passage, and we're going to come back and read 4 and 5 at the end of today. Look, look at 1 through 3 of Isaiah 53. This is the prophet speaking to the nation of Israel on behalf of God. Who has believed what, um, what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up, this is talking about Jesus, this is a prophecy of Jesus back in Isaiah 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant. By the way, uh, when you're reading Isaiah, you need to understand that half of the book was kind of doom and gloom about what was going to come. And then the second half of the book was how God is going to redeem all of mankind through the person who would become Jesus, the Messiah. Sorry, that's just a note for those of you who are interested, like me. So anyway, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And he had no beauty that we should desire him. He was, what's that next word? despised. And what's that next word after the and he was? Rejected. By who? By us. By men. A, a man of, of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. 
those of you who have grieved recently over a loss, he was acquainted with that. And, and as, as one from whom men hid their faces, he was, what's that next word again? Despised, and we esteemed him not. You see, the whole point of Emmanuel, God with us, is, is that God can absolutely identify with the pain of living here on this earth, specifically the pain of rejection. He also understood that the words uh, of John, that John would eventually later on pen, uh, the gospel writer, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. When John said this in John 1, 9 through 11, the true light, talking about Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, that means he came to the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. So Jesus willingly lived this life, he willingly went through his life. He willingly went through all the trials of his life and eventually the trial of his life and eventually his death on a cross. And he did that knowing that he would be rejected. And because of that, God isn't so distant anymore. Look at how Jesus, four, four ways that Jesus experienced rejection. Here's where we're going to speed up real quick. And I want to let you know I'm using a, a translation or a version, uh, which I like to call a paraphrase. It's called the message version of the Bible. I'm going to use it in these four illustrations because I love the narrative that it gives. It's not a direct translation, but it's a fantastic tool if you're looking at the narrative story and we're doing that today, okay? First of all, number one, Jesus was dismissed by the leaders in his own hometown. Jesus was dismissed by the leaders in his own hometown. I want you to think about your hometown. Maybe where you were born uh, or where you grew up. For me, where I was born is Dunedin, Florida, where I grew up was Stone Mountain, Georgia. So one of those places, think about that town, think about that city, think about that location that you grew up in, your hometown. And think about going um, back and, and all of a sudden you're chased out of town, like persona non grata. You are not welcome in this place anymore. Jesus was faced with a similar situation. He was dismissed by the leaders in his own hometown. Look at Luke 4, 16 through 30. I love this. He came to Nazareth. That's where he was raised, where he'd been reared, as he always did on the Sabbath. He went to the meeting place. That's the temple. Um, when he stood up to read, he was handed the scrolls of the prophet Isaiah, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, and we're going to read this in a moment, but I want you to understand, by the way, that this is the record of Jesus' first sermon, okay? Now, I remember my first sermon. You know why? Because it was awful, okay? That's why I remember my first sermon. I was nervous. I was hot and sweaty. I mean, you know, if you've ever done anything for the first time, especially in public, it's a nerve-wracking experience. This is Jesus' very first message that he preaches, a teaching that he gives uh, in, in public there in the synagogue. And in the Jewish tradition, here's how they did it. They would stand up and read scripture, and then the rabbi or the priest would sit down to preach. No way I could do that. No way I could do that. I couldn't sit down and preach. But that's the way Jesus did it. That's the way they did it in the Jewish culture, and he's about ready to give his own message, okay? And he chose a passage from the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to read through this, and then we're going to make some application. I love this. Here's, here's what Isaiah says. God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor, sent me to announce the pardon to sinners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and the battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. And he rolled up the scroll, Jesus did, and he handed it back to the assistant, and then he sat down. Now, as he's reading this, there's something going on in the room. 
And that is, is that the other priests and the other rabbis and the people that are gathered there are starting to think, wait a minute, is Jesus implying that, like, he is the one? Is he doing that? And there was probably this, like, yes, like, what's going on here? Is he using this passage because he thinks he's the one? No way. He must just be teaching on it. There's no way he could think he's the one. Hang on. So he, he says all that, and he rolled up the scroll and handed it back to the assistant. Every eye in the place was on him intent, and then he started in. You've just heard scripture make history. It came true just now in this place. Whoa. Jesus is absolutely confirming in this place publicly, in his very first message that he ever gives from scripture that he is the messiah he's the one that isaiah was talking about and i'm sure in that moment the whole place was like whoa and then jesus goes on and he kind of uh, uh, essentially says that he is like some of these prophets and even better and so then the place is enraged look at look at all the way down to 28 i want to skip down to 28 through 30 what he said about being like elisha that set everyone in the meeting place seething with anger. It's his first message, and they are mad at him. Like if they had tomatoes, man, they'd be getting ready to throw them at him. Like, come on. They threw him out, banishing him from the village, then took him to a mountain cliff at the edge of the village to throw him to his doom. I mean, man, my first message was nowhere near this bad. The reaction was actually halfway decent. I'm looking at Jesus going, man, I didn't have it too bad. Wow. But he gave them the slip. I love that in the message. He gave them the slip, and he was on his way. And so the leaders, the religious leaders, the people in his own hometown rejected him. Not invited back. You're gone. You're done. You're finished. Rejected by men. So we think to ourselves, yeah, but that was kind of the outside group. That wasn't people who really loved and knew Jesus. They were just, you know, people in the town who hadn't seen him in a while. They thought this is some young whippersnapper coming in here, telling us that he's the Messiah. No way, okay? But at least his family and his, you know, his own flesh and blood brothers would accept him, right? Wrong. Jesus was disowned, secondly, by members of his own family. He had been spending time in Galilee where he did a lot of his ministry and found a lot of his disciples. And look what John says in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Later, Jesus was going about his business in Galilee. His business was to serve people and to help people. He didn't want to travel into Judea because the Jews there were looking for a chance to kill him. No doubt, based on what we just read, right? It was near the time of the tabernacles, a feast observed annually by the Jews. His brother said, hey, uh, Jesus... Why don't you leave here, get out of town, go up to the feast, you know, there in, in, uh, in, in uh, uh, Galilee, in, in, Jeru in Judea, um, and why don't you uh, find your disciples and let them get a good look of all these works you've been doing here in Galilee? No one who intends to, publicly, uh, to be publicly known does everything behind the scenes. If you're serious about what you're doing, Jesus, come out in the open and show the world. And his brothers were pushing him like this because they didn't what believe his own flesh and blood i mean brothers got to stick together right not jesus's brothers they rejected him too they rejected him too but you know what i mean that's just that's just his brothers i mean the people of his town his brothers that's fine but at least he had his mom and dad at least they remembered him less at least they like loved on him they were human 
and they failed in this area too. In what I think is one of the most humorous examples in, in scripture of parenting, okay? It's the third point. Jesus was unintentionally abandoned by his mom and dad when he was young. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever left your kid anywhere, okay? Don't raise your hand. You do not have to raise your hand. I'm not raising my hand either, okay? Have you ever left your kid anywhere? Have you ever been left anywhere? Like at the mall or at church as we went home. Anyway, that's a long story. But Jesus was unintentionally abandoned by his mom or dad when he was young. I love this. Look at Luke 2, 41 through 52. Every year, Jesus' parents traveled to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up as they always did for the feast when it was over and they left for home. The child, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Yes. Awesome. I, that makes me feel really good as a parent, by the way. I mean, like, I'm really, really good as a parent based on what, you know, uh, Joseph and Mary were doing here. Thinking that, um, thinking he was somewhere in the company of the pilgrims, those are the people that are traveling on this uh, normal journey, they journeyed for a whole day, and they began looking for him among the uh, relatives and neighbors. Hey, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? You know how this works, right? And then all of a sudden, panic ensues. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. The next day, they found him in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And the teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt. And his mother said, young man, young man, isn't that great? I love how uh, this is written in the message here. Young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. And he said, why are you looking for me? Don't you know that I've been here doing the work of my father, or dealing with the things about my father, God the Father? And they had no idea what he was talking about. Therein lies a rejection. Am I right? Like, what is our son talking about? What is he talking about? So we went back to Nazareth with them and lived obediently with them. His mother held these things dearly deep within herself. That means it bothered her for the rest of her life that she left her kid in the temple for three days alone. And Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and people. Now, first of all, you need to understand, this is not an example of Jesus sinning. Some people might point to this and go, well, Jesus sinned here, so he couldn't have been all God. No, he was so engrossed with the work of God, his father, as many 12-year-olds do, life just went on. And his parents were heading back. And it just happened. There wasn't a spirit of rebellion here. There wasn't a spirit of wanting to rebel against his parents. It just happened. But in this, we see multiple rejections, even by his parents. The people of his town, his brothers, his parents. But you know what? At least those 12 men that left their whole world to follow Jesus, like they left their income, their families, their opportunity, certainly they would be faithful to the end, right? But wrong, wrong. Jesus was betrayed, it's your fourth point, by some of his closest followers and friends. And this is probably the most familiar of the passages. We usually look at it near Easter, but I think it ties in with God with us and how God can connect with our rejection. Look at what Luke says in Luke 22. We're going to look at different parts of this. The feast of the unleavened bread, also called the Passover, Passover, drew near. The high priest and religion scholars were looking for a way to do away with Jesus, but fearful of their people, um, they were also looking for a way to cover their tracks. That's when Satan entered Judas, the one called Iscariot. That was a follower, one of the 12 of Jesus. 
leaving the others, he, he conferred with the high priest and the temple guards about how he might betray Jesus to them. They couldn't believe their good luck, and they agreed to pay him very well. He gave them his word and started looking for a way to betray Jesus, but out of the sight of the crowd. And then we see Jesus going into the Garden of Gethsemane, and verses 45 through 46, he's praying there, and he thinks his disciples, his followers, uh, along with him are, are praying. I love this too. Verses 45 through 46. He got up from prayer, went back to the disciples, and found them asleep. Way to go, guys. Thanks for sleeping. Drugged by grief. He said, what business do you have sleeping? Get up, pray, so you won't give in to temptation. And no sooner had that happened, no sooner were the words out of his mouth than a crowd showed up, and there was Judas, the one from the 12, in the lead. He came right up to Jesus, and he kissed him. And Jesus said, Judas, you would betray me, the Son of Man, with a kiss. Really? You're really doing this? And he's betrayed by Judas. And then Luke goes on to describe later in, in a few verses uh, how Jesus, we see it in verses 54 through 56, you can take a look at that, arresting Jesus, they marched him off and took him into the house of the chief priest. And Peter followed, but at a safe distance, okay? You know, at least Peter's with Jesus. He was the, the disciple that was like one of the, the three closest disciples to Jesus. Um, so he, he was very close to Jesus, but he kept a safe distance. In the middle of the courtyard, some people had started a fire, and they were sitting around trying to keep warm. One of the serving maids sitting, in the, sitting at the fire, uh, I didn't mean to say in the fire, that was a Freudian slip, uh, sitting at the fire, noticed him, and then took a second look and said, this man, hey, this guy right here pointing to Peter, uh, he was with him. He was with that man that was just arrested. And he denied it. Woman, I, I don't even know him. I don't even know him. A short time later, someone else noticed him and said, you're one of them. You are one of them. But Peter denied it. Man, I'm not one of them. Well, about an hour later, someone else spoke up, really adamant. He's got to have been with him. He has got Galilean written all over him. He looks like him. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And at that very moment, the last word hardly off his lips, a rooster crowed. And just then, Jesus, the master, turned and looked at his friend, his disciple Peter, and Peter remembered what the master had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he cried and he cried and he cried and he cried. See, it wasn't just the people of Jesus' hometown. It wasn't just his brothers. It wasn't just his mom and dad. It was even those who said that they would follow him. They left everything they knew to follow him. Even they rejected Jesus. Jesus understands your rejection. Whether it was years ago when you were a child, or whether it was recently, or maybe you went through it with a sibling, God understands your rejection. And that means that you can trust him because he identified with you. You can identify with him. It's point number two today. Because Jesus chose to identify with your rejection because he chose to identify with your rejection, you can, first of all, receive comfort. Listen, you can receive comfort from Emmanuel knowing that he understands your pain. He understands your pain. Emmanuel, God with us, experienced the same type of pain, and he understands the same type of pain, and you can receive comfort. I, I love Peter's um, message 
that he is writing in 1 Peter, he says this in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. He's talking about humility and people in the church having humility. And in the midst of that, he recognizes that those who are humble, they even need a place to go to cast their anxiety on. And he says, casting all your anxieties on him, meaning Jesus, because he cares for you. Listen, if you've been hurt by rejection, by the pain of rejection, you can go to Jesus. He understands. You can be comforted by him. Secondly, because he went through this, you can trust Emmanuel, God, with us to guide you through your rejection. Maybe some of you are here today and you're going through it right now. You're going through that painful experience of being rejected. He can guide you through that. I love Psalm 9. The psalmist says in verses 3 through 10, when my enemies turn back, they stumble and they perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have set me on the throne, given righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their city you rooted out, he writes. The very memory of them has perished. But don't miss 7, 8, 9. Love this and 10. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness he judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Listen today, if you're here and you're currently going through rejection, you can seek God out and he can help guide you through that painful rejection experience. He can comfort and he can guide. And lastly, if you're here today and you have deep wounds, serious wounds, he can heal them. He can heal them. Take a look at Isaiah 53. Rely on Emmanuel is the point to heal the wounds from rejection. We're going to go back and look at Isaiah 53 again, just verses 4 through 5. We can find and receive healing from rejection. Listen to what, what Isaiah writes. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. It just happened. That's what we say. But he was pierced for our sins. That transgression is, is a, a, a kind of a long word, as my daughter would say, a fancy word for sin. Um, transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are what? Healed healed. If you're here today and you have deep wounds from rejection, God can provide healing because of what he did on the cross. Because of what he did on the cross. His wounds, those sides that were pierced, the thorn in his brow, all of those wounds happen so that you can receive spiritual healing for those wounds of rejection. You see, God with us means that we can trust in a God who never changes. I love the story of, of a man by the name of Campbell Morgan. He was one of 150 men who uh, sought entrance to, to Wesleyan ministry in, in 1888. And part of the Wesleyan ministry was is that he had to pass doctrinal, doctrinal examinations, which he did. But, but then he had to preach in front of some people who were essentially grading him in that. We still have this in, in seminary today, but it's much different than it used to be. 
He had to face a jury of people who uh, would trial his sermon. Well, in this cavernous auditorium that he was in in, in Great Britain that day, preparing to, to preach this message, his first message, um, he saw more than a thousand seats, and in the room were three people, along with some people in the back listening, but three people right in the front. And as he looked him in the eye, all he saw was criticism. And he preached his message, but he knew it wasn't his best. He knew it wasn't his best. Well, two weeks later, Morgan's name appeared on a list among 105 others who were rejected for ministry. Rejected for ministry. They're in Great Britain, in England, in the Wesleyan culture. And Jill Morgan, his daughter-in-law, who wrote her book, A Man of the Word, uh, memorializing him, said that he wired to his father the, this one word, rejected. And he sat down to write in his diary, and he wrote this, very dark, everything seems still he knows best. And very quickly, as he was writing in his journal, a wire came back from his father that said this, rejected on earth, but accepted in heaven. Accepted in heaven. Dad. And his dad provided what he needed, and that was the realization that you may be rejected by culture, you may be rejected by education, academia, business world, students in your schools. You may be rejected by neighbors and friends and loved one, but God understands that rejection and he accepts you because he never changes. Implied in rejection itself is that the person who is rejecting you changed. Do you realize that? Implied in the idea of rejection is that there was either a perceived or a real acceptance in the first place. Are you with me? Rejection says that someone changed. Our God, Emmanuel, the one who experienced the rejection that you face, the God who is with us, I want to tell you today, he never changes. And that leads us to our bottom line this morning. Emmanuel chose to experience human rejection so that we might look to him as constant when everyone else around us changes. While everyone changes, he remains constant. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, thank you so much for the idea that you identified and understood our rejection in life. Thank you for becoming Emmanuel, God, with us. And God, I thank you that when everyone around us changes, because we are all flawed and we are all human, the words from Malachi 3, verse 6 are true. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And the words from James 1:17 are true, that every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God, you never change. And while people change and we're rejected because they change, you never change. Thank you, Father God, for being the one who can help us through our rejection, who can provide comfort when we've been rejected, and who can heal our wounds from deep rejection that we've faced. God, I pray right now for those who may be here who have experienced rejection. In fact, if you have, and you say, Todd, I just, I just need you to pray for me real quick. Um, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. If you've experienced rejection, you say, I just, need, I just need a little 
better understanding from God. I need to be prayed for so that I can get through this rejection. Just raise your hand for a moment. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else here today? Just raise your hand. Keep it up for a moment. Anyone else? God, I pray for those who raised their hand just a moment ago and those who still have their hands raised. God, I pray that you would guide and direct their hearts. God, I pray that you would provide healing to their wounds. And Father God, I thank you that you were a God who loved us enough that you chose to be Emmanuel, God with us. And in doing so, you experience the same type of rejection that we face. Help us to be able to navigate that. In Jesus' name I pray.